I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about the business and culture of bookselling in the 21st century. Through conversations with bookstores, publishers, authors, and patrons, we'll explore how bookstores went from cautionary tale to a paradigm of small business success in the course of a decade. If you like what we're doing, help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Reviews help us reach more people. Thanks so much for helping us spread the word. Hey, everyone. So we're going to start out this series at home in Los Angeles. I sat down with Nadine Vasallo in the studio. She's the general manager of BookSoup, a Los Angeles cultural institution on the Sunset Strip. BookSoup has expanded and contracted over the years, but the Sunset Strip location has been going strong year after year. In many ways, the store is synonymous with LA book culture. They even have a satellite location at LAX. So without further ado, here's my chat with Nadine. Welcome. Thank you for coming, uh, Nadine. For people that don't know, what's the origin story of BookSoup? So BookSoup was founded in 1975. Um, We are still to this day located on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood, Los Angeles. Um, It was founded... Original location or...? um, Just down the block from the original location. So um, BookSoup was founded by a UCLA grad student named Glenn Goldman, who kind of had this vision that there could be sort of a rock and roll bookstore um, in the middle of the Sunset Strip. Um, I think at first a lot of people doubted him about that, but the store has proved itself by staying um, there to this day. It was originally a little further up the block um, and moved down, um, I think, in the 80s at some point. And it's been in that same location since the 80s? Yes. Is there an origin story to the name? You know, I've always just heard that he thought it was a funny joke, but I'm not sure I get the joke. Okay. Yeah, I ask I ask that question a lot because coming up with the name for a business is actually really challenging. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times really good ideas don't go very far because people are stuck on the name. Mm-hmm. So, and then once you've come up with a name, a lot of people actually I've found it, whether they're in the book business or not, it's just like they come up with a name and they actually don't like it that much, but the name kind of just takes off. And you yeah. can't really change it or rebrand it. So we like do still get calls um, from people asking if we have soup sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, so what's your background? Where, where do you come into the book soup story? Sure. Um, I've been the general manager at Book Soup for a little over a year. Um, and I worked at the store for about a year before that. Um, I was Before that, I was in the publishing business in New York. Um, I had worked for... Penguin, um, Fiden Press, and then a trade association called the Book Industry Study Group. Um, but I decided that I wanted to come out to Los Angeles, and I happened to meet uh, the CEO of Romans, which is the company that owns BookSoup. And that's how I landed they there. They bought BookSoup right after the owner passed away, correct? Yeah. Or shortly um, after? Yeah, he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and um, at that point decided to sell the store. Um, and Romans stepped in and bought it. Um, Allison, who's the CEO at Romans, actually previously had been the GM at BookSoup. So she really sort of got the store, um, what it's about, um, its brand and all that sort of thing. So Vroman's sort of provides 
a bit of a, I don't want to say corporate, but more corporate than Bookseep was before um, infrastructure for the store, um, while still kind of maintaining its look and letting it be what it is and always was. In the community, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it's nice to have, you know, the corporate this, corporate that, but sometimes it's nice, especially in an industry like this, to have a little bit of a cushion. Yeah, a little bit of a safety net. So what does a typical day look like for you? Um, It can be pretty different day to day, um, but I do spend some time in the store and then some time in my office, which is in the back of the store. Um, I have a really um, amazing team of supervisors and booksellers who I work with. Um, So I'm working with them a lot, kind of directing everybody about where our priorities are as far as um, projects that are going on. But our priority is always just talking to people in the store about books. So whatever else we're doing, we are like ready to drop it to have a conversation with you about the books that you love and the books that we love. Um, But other than that, um, I work on things like building displays or um, overseeing when we're pulling old books that haven't been selling well to send back or putting out new stock um, and stuff like that. Um, Business-wise, what is, you mentioned your brand, you mentioned the BookSoup brand a moment ago. Business-wise, what what would you say is your formula? What do you guys do differently than, say, another bookstore or another book brand? Um, I think by virtue of our location, um, our identity is defined in kind of a different way than other bookstores because we're on the Sunset Strip where we are. The store has always... Um, focused a bit on um, the film and music industries, targeting um, people in that world. We have a lot of celebrity customers and a lot of high-profile signings because of that. So that's a big part of our business. Um, We sell a lot of signed books in the store and we ship worldwide. So a lot of times when a musician or someone like that has a memoir come out, um, we're frequently the L.A. stop for their book tour Um, And we put on events where we've had people lined up for hours to have someone sign a book for them. Um, I think that is definitely a big part of it for us. We also focus a lot on um, local history and culture. So we have a section we call um, California West History, um, which includes anything um, in this whole region. Um, We have some booksellers, too, who really focus um, on those areas, and that's helpful to us to kind of establish relationships with clients who are interested in that sort of stuff, too. I read that you guys are known for executing publicity stunts to drive events. What is that? Like, how did that come about? And and what what do you guys do that's unique from the norm, I guess, was was what I was thinking. Um, Because publicity stunt, by the way, is not like a pejorative term or anything, but it's kind of like, uh, like you said, um, being in LA and and being kind of like in in a central spot, authors and musicians will stop only at one space Mm -hmm. and you guys are that space. Can you talk a little bit, bit about some of the creative ways that you guys are driving traffic to the store? Yeah, I think um, I think the term publicity stunts is really funny. And I think that um, maybe was a bigger part of the store's identity under its original founder. Um, I know he was kind of someone who was really fond of publicity and of doing something that's going to gain a lot of attention um, and always like to tell stories about like really wild events that had happened in the store. Um, One of those being that it was Hunter S. Thompson's last reading was at Book Soup and he like vomited off the balcony or something like that, that. so the legend goes. Um, And I think things like that remain kind of part of our identity, even though (laughs) we're not necessarily hosting a lot of authors who puke anywhere in the store at this point. Right, I would imagine now that the... the 
the structure of events is a little more uh, polished too, just because of social media. And mm-hmm. you know, there's less need to do the kinds of things that were needed prior to yeah. social media. Yeah. One thing um, I always really love is when we have an author come in who cares a lot about connecting with their fans. So someone that we um, work with a lot is Chuck Palahniuk, and he um, he will always really go like above and beyond to turn his signing into like this amazing experience. And it's really gratifying to watch people come through and have that interaction with an author who means a lot to them. Um, he will have like planned out poses that he'll do with you if you want to take a selfie with him and he'll put you in a headlock or whatever. Um, and he has... Um, Every time he has like a new book coming out or we're doing some kind of promotion with him, he'll mail strange items to the store so that we've been able to like raffle off or give away to a fan. So last time it was a severed like bloody mannequin arm that he had autographed. That's awesome. That's so cool. How many events does he do at the store? Like, is he a regular in terms of... Pretty regular. Even um, if he doesn't have new stuff coming out, he's just sort of like there for backlist stuff or... um, Sometimes mostly tied to new releases. In the time that I've been at the store, I think we've done one really big event with him, but it basically went like all day and night long. Above and beyond what other people (laughs) are doing. That's really cool. Um, Not being able to compete on price means that you guys have to have a laser focus on curation and discovery. What's your curation process and how do you guys approach the idea of being a place where people can get come and get lost? Mm -hmm. Um, We have a really excellent buying team who handles most of the curation as far as what books we carry. Um, We also have a really um, incredible, knowledgeable and passionate team of booksellers who are able to suggest whatever they want to see carried in the store as well. Um, We rely a lot on employee recommendations to sell books. So if you haven't been to Book Soup, um, it has sort of a unique look in that the store is lined by floor to ceiling um, painted black bookshelves. Um, and they um, are filled with these handwritten recommend cards where employees um, talk about the books that they love. We have tons of them. When I go into other bookstores, I'll get kind of competitive and be like, they look like they have more than us. We need more. Um, but one thing I love is we put out our own um, top 10 bestseller list within the store each week. And I'll go down the list. And a lot of times it's not like what you'd expect. Like it's not what would be on any other store's bestseller list or what's really in the news right now even or anything like that. It'll really reflect what our employees are caring about and what they're selling um, that week. So it'll be basically like a rundown of things that have been recommended by um, booksellers at the store. Um, I always just tell everyone when I'm hiring or when I'm training people about how to be a bookseller, um, we try to hire people who we think are really passionate, who um, care about the subjects that our customers care about and want to get like really involved in talking with them about that. And then the only real like guidance that I give them is just go out and be a human being because um, I think the main advantage we have on competition is that we do have humans. <laughs> Especially technological competition. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, it's so important. Um, is there anything in your store in particular that sells really well that you're kind of surprised by? Um, hmm. Genre, topic, subject matter? You know, recently, um, I don't know if this has always been the case, but I feel like poetry is having like a real moment and we see that for sure reflected in sales at the store. I've heard that at two from two other stores. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. One of the comments on it was this idea that poetry slows things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, it was just so intuitive. Yeah. So more and more bookstores are opening instead of closing. 
um, which is kind of against the grain on what the narrative has been in the media and the press. What's happening? Um, I think there's a few different things contributing to that. Um, I know, you know, a few years back when there was sort of all this um, sort of hysteria in the industry about the shift to ebooks and kind of thinking nobody's going to buy a paper book ever again. Everybody's going to go and read digitally. Um, in my previous job before I came to BookSoup, I actually did some research on that subject. Um, and what I had found was that people ended up sort of splitting their reading. Um, a lot of people, when they first got an e-reader and like ventured into that space, they would do a lot of digital reading. And then as they sort of settled into a pattern, they would end up kind of um, splitting like by genre or by like whether they're traveling or at home or something like that, whether they're reading a digital copy or a paper copy of a book. Um, and I think bookstores have been able to stay really relevant because there are still so many things that people prefer to read on paper. Um, I do think there's also an element of kind of a, um, I'm not sure what the word is, like a, a collector sort of spirit to um, people who continue to shop in physical bookstores. Sort of the same thing that you'd see with vinyl. Um, like if you look at the sales trends over time for like different music formats vinyl kind of dies off and then other things come along to replace it and die off and then vinyl has this sudden resurgence amongst people who um you know in this like digital world that we're living at still care a lot about having these artifacts and items around them i think we see some of that too um and i think publishers take note of that and if they um you know are conscious of making a book an item that's worth owning that there's still a large you know amount of people who want to have books in their home and want to have books in their lives and share that with their families. Um, and I think just by staying um, like relevant to our immediate communities, independent bookstores still have a really big role to play. As a third place. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is that the um, there is a split between whether or not you're going to decide to buy a print book versus the digital. Mm -hmm. What do you think the line in the sand is? What What is it about a book that makes it that's digital versus I want a physical copy of it. Can you explain that in any way? Yeah, I think it depends a lot on the individual. Um, but one thing that I found is that um, it depends a lot on like kind of the way someone's going to interact with a book. So if it's a book that they're um, planning to read straight through from start to finish, like a novel or a work of narrative nonfiction or a biography or something like that, the experience of reading it sort of translates more seamlessly from paper to an ebook format because you're just kind of getting wrapped up in the story and flipping, you know, to the next screen doesn't feel that different from turning the page. But when you're looking at like the types of books that you're going to want to skip around in or revisit or that you're going to need to use like an index and go to certain pages to reference things like travel guides, cookbooks, or even something like poetry. Um, I think that they're like the experience is so different when you're reading in a digital format versus on paper that that those areas really kind of stayed print. in print um, all through that transition. Um, but I think also, you know, for a lot of people that I've talked to, even if they read a book digitally and really loved it, then they want to own it. So I definitely think there's like that kind of, um, and not to use the same example again, but like the same thing with vinyl records when you're, if you buy a record now, a lot of times you get access to a download code to also get an MP3 you can take with you. Um, so it kind of, 
you know, you can use the record at home and then that digital copy when you're traveling. I think a lot of people are using print and ebooks the same way. A lot of times when I read something that I like, whether it's print or digital, and I want to gift it, I mm-hmm. want to gift a physical form yeah. of it. So that might be play into some of it yeah. as well. Um, and then being able to share, uh, you can share digitally, but it's not the same mm-hmm. as like being handed something. Uh, so and this hasn't happened on your watch, but you guys have opened locations um, and you've closed some. You have a location at the airport, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're partnered with Hudson, like some other... Yeah, um, essentially they're licensing our name right. and we share employee recommends with them and things like that. But you don't run, you're not involved in the day-to-day? No, we're not. Do you guys have any plans to open more locations? Is that something that, that Romans or you are thinking about? Um, no, that hasn't really come up for Book Soup um, okay. specifically. Book Stories is brought to you by classicalchops.org. Longtime supporter of the arts, Classical Chops creates innovative educational solutions for kids. They also have a great podcast featuring interviews with music luminaries. You can listen at Classical Chops Studio on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the conversation. What do you say to people who are thinking about opening a bookstore today uh, that don't have the brand recognition, that don't have that, you know, that corner location, but have an idea, have a passion. Um, you know, they know that they know the pros and cons they've weighed it. They've, they, in terms of it being a lifestyle choice. Um, what are a couple of things that you've seen along the way that could help someone who's thinking about opening a store be successful? Um, I mean, I would say do it, first of all. <laughs> um, I think location is really important. Um, not that you have to have, like, a location that's so tied to the store's identity in the way that Book Soup does, but just, like, a location where you feel like there is there is some sort of community there who are looking um, for books. Um, I remember hearing this statistic once that, like, if you opened a coffee shop, then, like, every other coffee shop that opened near it would also be successful because people would just think, here's the block where I go to get coffee. And I think something like that um, could maybe apply to bookstores too. Like if you thought of an area as like the kind of place where people are going because they care about this. Um, There could definitely be more in Los Angeles alone, just in the pockets and neighborhoods. Um, They don't have to stock the same things. Right. You know? The biggest challenge, though, is finding a space that's affordable Mm -hmm. um, and then understanding the economics of like, you know, I need to sell this many books to have this many employees. Yeah. But it's good to it's good to hear someone in the business thinking that more should exist and they should be expanding because they are, you know, the fact that you, I say you, but I'm talking about the community of booksellers. The fact that you've bucked the trend Mm -hmm. is very promising and it's a very telling sign that people are using their discretionary dollars in a way that benefits their community. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I'm going to I'm going to say the a word. I usually wait for the in the interview for uh, someone to bring it up themselves, um, but I'll be the bad guy. Um, so when you see that Amazon now is opening physical stores, mm-hmm. what do you think? Or at this point are you even thinking about them at all? It's not something that honestly I think about a whole lot, um, especially the physical stores. I mean, we do have one that's pretty close to us. There is an Amazon store in the west side of LA. Um, so we're aware of it, but I honestly don't think about it that much. Um, I think when you look at kind of the setup of Amazon's physical stores, it's so different from us that I'm not... Experientially and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think like it's just such a different experience that a customer who is interested in books, you like, I'm not really worried that they're going to leave us for that. 
In terms of technology, can you talk a little bit about how uh, technology helps you in running the business? Yeah, um, it's definitely helpful to us. Um, We are pretty active on social media for promotional purposes, um, but we do a lot of business too through our website. Um, So that's probably the biggest piece of it for us, at least right now. Um, So people are shopping online. Yeah, um, especially because our store has this focus on signed stock and um, in bringing in kind of big name authors for signings, we have, um, we do a lot of business in that particular area online. We'll ship anywhere. So we get people, if someone, you know, is a big fan of someone who's coming to our store, but they live in another country or continent, like they can still get their books signed and personalized. So that's the Uh biggest thing for us is like it helps connect us with people all over the world who are interested in the authors that are coming to our store. That's Definitely, like, the bulk of our online business um, goes into that. Um, We also, you know, we use, like, all the main social media platforms that you'll think of. And we've actually been working on a BookSoup podcast, so that may be... Awesome. ...down the road somewhere. That's really cool to hear. (laughs) Um, There's some... I was going to ask you, do you guys broadcast your events online? Is it something that you're thinking about? We've definitely thought about it. We haven't really done a lot of it, but it's something where um, I definitely would like to go. See, the idea so much is not that it's going to be like... uh, Sometimes, like, a business person will look at it like, well, is it going to... How many customers is it going to bring to my door? And I, I think that the dialogue needs to be am I top of mind somewhere? Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's listening to you in Washington, D.C., they're not necessarily going to come to your store. Right. But if they know about somebody who's going to L.A., they're going to be like, oh, go check out Book Soup when you're out there. Yeah, like you want to be... You might have possibly made a sale. Exactly. Are you familiar with Politics and Prose? Yes. So they have a podcast, Mm -hmm. and they basically broadcast their author events. Uh And... I listen to that podcast because I can't always attend author events. And if they have like a cool person in the store, I want to hear what they have to say about their book. <laughs> and anytime anybody ever mentions they're going to DC or they're doing like, hey, go check out politics and prose. Right. So like you listeners or people that are watching the events that you're putting out on online are will kind of become your army mm-hmm. of evangelists. Yeah, and it helps um, the store kind of become synonymous with that. Um, yeah. Like, I know I think of politics and prose and associate them with events, too, for that exact yeah, reason. Yeah, and events are your key drivers, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what gets people into the store other than, like, the loyalists who are coming in to pick up a copy of a book, right? Yeah. To get people there, you have to, you have, to have programming. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing one. What's a nagging pain point in the business? within the store itself. And then I'm going to ask you about the industry in general, but like, is there something you wish you could fix right now? Yeah, this is like such a minor little like logistical thing, but um, something we've run into a lot of trouble with is um, managing like on sale dates for books. Um, There's really kind of no standardized way to make sure that like when a book arrives to us, it actually goes out onto the floor in the day it's meant to go on sale. It sounds like a trivial thing, but it's um, it's kind of like a supply chain problem between publishers, distributors, and bookstores that that date just sort of gets lost. And it's possible for us to get a book like well before we're actually allowed to sell it. Mm. So we've kind of developed some in-house workarounds for that, but there's really nothing that's preventing it from happening other than like we'll literally write on an order form, like, do not sell until and the date and hope that someone sees it before that book ends up on the floor. (laughs) That would be the thing I would magically fix if I could. And it seems like an annoying problem, too, because you have inventory that you can't do anything Mm -hmm. with. So it's just taking up space. Yeah, we just have to store it till that date. 
And we have, um, it happens especially when we have a customer who wants to pre-order a book um, that hasn't yet come out. We'll often have that book sitting there, but we can't sell it to them. So we just have to wait to call them on the right day. What changes would you like to see within the book industry as a whole? You know, I think it like kind of goes back to what I was saying about making sure that books are items that are like worth people owning them. Um, it's not really a change. I think publishers are aware of it, but... As opposed to them being like commodities? Yeah, like, or just kind of feeling disposable. Like, I think in order to, um, if we want to keep print books going, then they need to keep feeling like something that's worth someone like creating a special place for in their home. So just like keeping that in mind when you're actually designing a book and trying to make it um, exciting and like worth people keeping around. With respect to design, are are spines important? Like yes, that's what gets someone to grab the book. Yeah. Like is there is there a science to that that um, you I can think share? Covers and spines are really important. Um, I know people say don't judge a book by its cover, but I often do because I mean, if you have a good book designer, then the cover should be reflective of the content to some degree. Um, we run into it a lot. Like if um, it's easy for a book if it's not clearly marked on the spine to really just disappear into the shelves. Um, when we're putting out new books, we try to face them all out so the cover is facing out at you when you look at the shelf. And at that point, they're able to get a lot of attention because people see the cover right away. But as soon as there's like less copies or it's it's not as new and the, what's on the shelf starts shifting around, then all you have to get someone's attention can be just the spine of the book. So it needs to be at least clearly marked and hopefully eye-catching in some way. Um, I know... Readable from a distance. Yes. Um, Yeah, when we create... um, We have an area in our store that's just like a table called Book Soup Favorites, and we kind of rotate that every week or so with bringing some new books that we just really like. And when we're choosing those, we choose them like the cover plays an important role because we know people are going to pick them up off the table based on the cover. So we're like, if this book looks eye-catching... Um, it's going to be more likely that we'll be able to, like, successfully push that title compared to something with a less interesting cover. What are some ways that you merchandise a book beyond positioning, I guess, is what I'm getting at? Yeah, um, I mean, definitely, like I said, facing the book out makes a difference. So um, face out is just like you'd have a stack coming forwards on the shelf so that people can see the cover. Um, the other thing I mentioned um, before, but for us... Um, recommends or shelf talkers make a giant difference. So a shelf talker would be basically like a little sign that hangs off the shelf to call attention to the book. We use them for books where we have an event coming up or we have signed copies or if someone's recommending it. Um, And also at the holidays, we'll do a shelf talker for like suggested gifts. And that puts a lot of attention on the books that have one. Shelf talker versus non-shelf talker, is there a big difference in sales? If you Um, guys shelf talk a book, will it move? Yeah, um, almost... Always, I see it make a difference, especially for us, the employee recommends, but the sign book signs we use or the gift um, shelf talkers work pretty well, So the well human too. curation is the element that people want, you yeah. know? Even if they don't, even if someone's not really chatty and they come in and they just want to be left alone, they'll lean on the shelf talker kind yeah. of to have that communication. Yeah, and with that, um, we have a lot of pretty loyal customers who will sort of pick out even if they never talk to that person, like a certain employee whose recommends they like or agree with, and they'll kind of go around and like, 
pick that person's stuff. So it helps a lot to identify who those are coming from. Yeah, they become your recommender. You yeah. know, like, like your radio DJ, they play, you keep going back to that station because they sit, play music you like. Mm-hmm. So you've been, you've been in the business from, you've seen it on both sides of the table, I guess, from the retail end and from the publishing side. Um, is there an innovation, in your opinion, or thing that nobody's doing in the business that you kind of always wonder, like, why isn't anybody doing this? Or why hasn't anybody, anybody tried that? Um, I guess the one I always wanted to see was kind of a, like a bundle option where you could get a book in different formats for one price. Like that would appeal to me. You get the hardcover, you get a digital copy and an audio book yeah, maybe? Yeah, something Why like that. Why isn't anybody doing that? Yeah, I don't know. I know some startups have like kind of ventured into that space, but it hasn't really gone anywhere. But that's always what I think like I would use all three of those options. Is that what Libro FM does? Libro is just audio books. Okay. We do actually have a partnership with them. So we do, um, we refer a lot of our customers who are interested in audiobooks. They've been really good at partnering with bookstores. Yeah. That's like their their secret sauce. Um, Bundling is fascinating. I'd like to read a chapter and then have the ability to just jump in my car and continue. Yeah. You know? Yeah, if they um, somehow especially could, like, make it line up so you wouldn't lose your place yeah, somehow, yeah. like, I mean, the tech, that, the that's tech what is I there. want. <laughs> yeah. The tech is there. It's just a question of the publishers. I don't, I mean, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's a question of the publishers being able to figure out the price point for it. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think it's tricky to work out, like, pricing and rights as yeah. well, especially, like, I would love to see something where um, you could take an older book that you already own and like scan it and have access to an audiobook copy of that book. But in a lot of cases, when those original deals were made, there wasn't any provision for digital rights at all. So that all needed to be worked out first before you can start going there. That's a good point. What does the business look like to you in five years? Um, I hope not too different. Yeah, I mean... Um, I just hope that books continue, like it continues kind of like growing at the same rate. It doesn't need to be astronomical, but yeah. Steady. Yeah. Do you think print will always exist? I do. And what are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading The Idiot by Ilif Badaman, which is a novel that came out last year. Actually, um, I'm supposed to be reading as part of a little um, book club with two of my colleagues. And this is our first book, so we named our club The Idiots. Are there any writers out there that you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention? Um, we have a uh, program at BookSoup called Soup of the Month, where we pick a different um, book that like, at least someone on our staff really, really loves. And we go sort of like above our normal, just here's your little like two-sentence staff recommend and have them write a really extensive review of it. And I think we've picked a few things that... Um, or maybe like a little under the radar that I think deserve more attention. One of those is Kaveh Akbar, who's a poet who um, he released his first collection called Calling a Wolf a Wolf last year. And that was our February soup of the month. Um, And I think that book's kind of taken off because of, like I said, there's like a poetry moment happening. Um, So he would be one. Um, Another one, um, I really like this novel that came out in translation like a year or two ago called Fever Dream by Samantha Schweblin, who I've never heard of your enunciation is fantastic (laughs) i'm not sure i'm saying it right that's how it's spelled but um yeah i I would love to see her um maybe some more of her works translated another one um would be camille bordas who's a french writer she just wrote her first her first novel in english came out last year it's called how to behave in a crowd and i really loved that book i'd love to see more of her stuff be available in english as well i want to pick up on your cue you mentioned poetry again i want to jump back to that why do you think poetry's 
big again. Um, I do think some of it is what you described kind of, um, you know, when information is coming at us at such a fast rate, it's nice to like sit back and read something that forces you to slow down and think about it more. Um, Are there new poets that people are into or is it the old stuff? Is it the really old stuff, like Rumi-type poetry? I'm seeing some of that as well as a lot of new voices. Um, Another one, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Hanif Abdurakid, I want to say. He is a poet and essayist um, who actually his book is going to be our next book of the month. which is called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, this collection of, like, really amazingly written, like, music and culture essays that, like, when you read his essays, you can tell that he's a poet. And I think there's um something to be said for that, kind of, like, even if you're writing in other genres, like, that people who are writing in um, this kind of more poetic and thoughtful language are also able to take off a bit right now. Um, I think the other piece of it maybe is just, like... Um, in the political climate right now, it can be um, really tiring to just hear this like barrage of information and news all the time. And so maybe people just want to like sit with their feelings and poetry gives them a the space to do that. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. What's on the store soundtrack right now? Um, we listen to a lot of this one, like, I guess it's, new wave type of um a satellite radio station and so that that to me like when i hear that music now i feel like i'm in the store right away do you guys do like a spotify playlist or anything like book suit playlist we have before we haven't really done that in a while but that's something i would love to do more of because i think um we do like music music books and especially musician biographies are such a focus for us and for um our clientele um and i think we have a lot of people in the store and around the store who are really knowledgeable about music, that would be a great space for us to be in. For sure. Uh, if you weren't a bookseller, what would you be doing? I don't know. Um, you know, before I moved out here, I told some people I knew in the book business, like I was going to move to LA and everyone, like multiple people completely independently of each other said, you need to go work at Book Soup. So I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm like <laughs> in my place. Um I always wanted to do something related to books and words. So if not, do you write? Do you selling, have a writing background? I I do a little bit. Maybe I just think if I was not at the bookstore, maybe I'd be doing that more. Uh, complete the sentence. Los Angeles is um, way more diverse than people give it credit for. Um, what book have you recommended the most over the years to people? Um, the Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. Wow, a recent, relatively recent book. Yeah, um, I am like proselytizing all over the place for that book and her as a writer. That one and The Secret History particularly, I think I've recommended more than anything else. Uh, finally, what is in, this is the most important question, so brace yourself. Uh, what's in your ideal sandwich? Ooh, that's a good question. Um avocados for sure can tell you've been in california for a long time <laughs> i used to joke that i moved here specifically for like two the reasons produce. one was avocados and the second one was so i could not wear socks ever again i don't like socks and i never have so now i don't wear them um yeah like uh that's such a good question i would say like avocados and sprouts 
I'm a big bagel eater, so I'm imagining this being on a bagel. Like, are you tomato. familiar with Yeasty Boys? Uh, yes. Mm. Their their Instagram is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you if you're into bagels, um, I'm they're not sponsoring the show, but I'm totally <laughs> plugging Yeasty Boys right yeah. now. They're the amazing, especially if you come from uh, the East Coast. Yeah, they're they're on it. I and, lived above a bagel shop in Brooklyn for a couple years, so I'm like always in search of like that bagel that satisfies that particular need. need. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nadine, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being a part of the series. Um, I wish you and Book Soup continued success. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you around. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. I'm Vic Singh, and you've been listening to Book Stories. Book Stories is produced by Alternate Thursdays in Los Angeles. 